Welcome to Scrum Dynamics. Hi everyone, this is Neil Benson, and you're listening to the Scrum Dynamics podcast, where we're on a mission to help everyone successfully implement Microsoft business applications. In this episode, I've got an amazing guest who's going to join me to talk about using Azure DevOps to manage your requirements. Tricia Sinclair is a CRM pre-sales consultant at eBex in London. I guess eBex is now a part of DXC Technology. Tricia was recommended to me by some of my MVP friends in the UK and Ireland who saw Tricia presenting at 365 Saturday conferences in the UK, and I'm glad they did. At DXC, Tricia works with a couple of my former teammates from Increase CRM way back in the day. Hi Wayne, hi Dan, how are you guys doing? In this episode, she shares lots of helpful advice about how to manage work items in Azure DevOps. Whether you're using an agile approach like Scrum or a sequential approach, and even integrating Azure DevOps with Microsoft Project using the Flow Connector. Although by the time this is published, Flow will have a new name. She covers some best practices for reporting, getting your stakeholders into Azure DevOps, and my favorite knowledge bomb from Tricia, capturing product feedback requests and responses. I've been working with a couple of clients who've used Jira the past year or two rather than Azure DevOps, so I was excited to find out what's new in Azure DevOps for Dynamics 365, Power Apps, and Power BI teams. Let's find out from Tricia. For show notes for this episode, please visit customary.com slash 41. That's the word customer with a Y on the end, dot com slash 41. So I'm joined today with by Tricia Sinclair. Tricia, thank you very much for joining me on the Scrum Dynamics Show. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better, I've got three deep and meaningful personal questions for you. Uh, I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us, first of all, what did you have for breakfast today? I had Nesquik cereal. I should say eggs, but I needed a change. So I had a kid cereal, Nesquik, <laughs> um, that I stole from my niece. Oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> what are you most passionate about outside of work? I dance so basically fitness so I, I dance every weekend um, with my dance friends from at your beat that's pretty much what I do when I'm not working all the time <laughs> what kind of dance is it is it modern dance is it classic it's, it's not classic unfortunately and my mom would love if it was classic but it's more like R&B hip-hop like Beyonce Rihanna I get to be Beyonce ah. So I noticed on your blog, there was a little gif of, of a dancer. I thought it was Beyonce, but maybe it was you. Yeah, I wish it was, but it was actually Beyonce. But, you know, <laughs> oh. maybe in the future it could be me. Very good. <laughs> Love it. And tell me how you landed your, your first job and your current job. So I am from Jamaica. And I, when I finished university, I went back home. Um, but when I, was in, when I was sending out applications, all the requests for being interviewed were from the UK. So I went, I came back and to be honest, I interviewed at one company and got the job. And to be honest, it was a CRM company and it was actually using everything that I'd learned at university. So it was like, yes, so I took it. That was great. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I basically have ever been, I've been in CRM ever since. What was your um, what was your university degree in that was so applicable to a career in CRM? Computer studies. So we did mm -hmm. database management, we did networking and security, we did programming, and 
every single thing I learned at uni, like I've been able to apply to this. I even did artificial intelligence as a minor. Um, so now with the whole AI builder and AI coming into the CRM suite, I'm like, wow, I never thought I'd ever get to apply that. And now I'm basically trying to go back and relearn everything and relearn the concepts and like get myself back in there. But it's really great. Great. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, tell me about your current role. Where are you and how did you get that job? So currently I'm working at DXC. Um, I'm currently in the pre-sales team. So I'm a pre-sales solutions consultant at DXC, formerly known as Ebex. And how I got that job, I I actually interviewed to be a solution architect and I how would you say I, I got pulled to the pre-sales team instead? I was told, no, you really should join our team. And it was really attractive because it always been in delivery. Um, and this gave me another opportunity to be, you know, to be more customer interfacing with other like multiple customers as opposed to being on one site all the time. So I found that very attractive and I found the opportunity to learn a lot about the new technology coming out also very attractive. That's basically how I took the the pre-sales role at DXC, but I was also um, pointed in the direction by another friend who was at DXC as well. So yeah, so that's how I, I found the job and that's how I got to be in the pre-sales team. Great. Oh, it's good, it's good to get to know you a little bit better. You've amassed a little bit of a, a following, a little bit of um, a tribe around some of the presentations you've been doing at 365 Saturdays. That's how I got to know about you. Tell us a little bit oh, about yeah. your your journey as a presenter within the dynamics community in the UK? Well, I when I first joined um, pre-sales, I hadn't done a lot, well, any actual presentations as such. Um, so my boss at the time sent me uh, to D365 Dublin to do my first presentation. It was on PSA um, and it was great. But what I, what I realized was I actually liked doing that sort of presenting. I liked engaging. I liked networking. And I learned so much from it. Um, so ever since then, I've been presenting at other D365 Saturdays, but not about PSA, about something else that I was really passionate about. And it's always been about DevOps. Um, ever since I started doing DevOps, that's something I've always wanted to like improve my knowledge on and also share knowledge on. So I created some um, presentations and I tend to do focus my presentations around like work item management or around testing. And the reason I do that is because I think that Azure Pipelines, which is the other really well-known, just continuous deployment, continuous um, integration is really well-known, really well-covered. I just want other people who might not really know what DevOps is or know how to get into DevOps to have the opportunity. Um, so I focus on that and I've basically been doing a lot of D365 Saturdays talking about how to start DevOps, how to use the, the Azure boards to just do basic work item management. And um, I also started a blog and that's been really good. And I, I feel like it, it's been really, really great. The, the, com the company that I get from doing these events and also the, well, I learn a lot from them. Great. I love it. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for, for your passion and sharing all your knowledge with the community. It's such a great opportunity. It's a great way to like travel as well. So I really love that. It is. It's really good. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I presume DXC are supporting you through that presentation because you have to take time out of your, your work to prepare those presentations. And you're obviously traveling at the, uh, in your own time at the weekends. So, you know, thank you. And thanks to DXC for making that investment. Yeah. That's great. So what, what cities have you presented in so far? So I've presented in Dublin, naturally, 
Amsterdam, Oslo. Where else have I presented? Manchester, London. I'm sure there's quite a few because I I tend to be going somewhere every two months Good. at this rate. Um, so I'm sure there are other places I'm missing out, but those are the the more recent ones that I've been to. Yeah, good for you. They're amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned Azure DevOps. You know, it's quite a big platform now. Um, it's got lots of different features. We'd love to find out more about using it for requirements management. I think, like you said, it's it's well known. You know, its background was in in source control, and then when it became team foundation services, there was um, more emphasis on on CI and CD, which I completely agree with you. It's pretty well covered. There's lots of helpful information and articles about how to get started with now Azure DevOps for Dynamics 365, continuous integration, continuous deployment. But um, mm -hmm. we don't often hear about it as a requirements management tool. I've had the Let's just say the, the, the position the last couple of years with my enterprise clients, we've been using Jira, using that for work item management on its boards. I'd love to find out what the latest innovations are in Azure DevOps and why people should consider using it for, for managing their Dynamics 365 project. Well, think about it this way. Microsoft are making such a huge investment in pretty much all of their platforms. Um, for example, the creation or the the release of project that just happened this weekend. Now, project is the data that's being held in project is based upon CDS. And I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but there is actually a flow connector for Azure DevOps. Um, so imagine if you're a project manager and you are tied to MS project, you don't actually have to change the tool that you're using. Um, but you will allow developers and stakeholders to to use the tool that they need to use. They need to be able to update their tasks. They need to be able to um, track the dependencies. But you can actually see that in project as well via the, the flow connector that you can actually set up. Um, so basically with the... The integration between the Office products, Excel and Project, um, you've even got integration with other tools like Teams and Slack. You can actually use Microsoft tools with DevOps. And I think that's basically where the power of it comes from. Does that flow connector go both ways? So it does. Project manager could create create items in Project, those would flow into flow into um, Azure DevOps and back again? Yes, it does. I demoed this in my last um, presentation in Dublin, um, hopefully some of you listening were there. <laughs> and it basically what, what, I, what I demonstrated was creating a, a project um, with work items in PSA and have, um, putting dependencies and resources and pressing a button and having that flow to Azure DevOps, updating a task to be closed and having that flow back to um, PSA. So really, although the connector is there, you have to set up the, the actual flow, but you have that capability and that is powerful. Coming back then to work item management, could you maybe explain to us what a work item is in Azure DevOps? Because I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Scrum. We have a concept of a product backlog item, which I think if I use the Azure DevOps Scrum template, basically that's it's the same thing, a, a work um, item is a product backlog item, but you don't have to use Scrum if you're using Azure DevOps. Can you tell us a little bit more about what a work item is? Yeah, sure. A work item is effectively a how would I put this? A type of a type of record that holds information. That's like grassroots. That's like, that's the most basic definition. But as you mentioned, if you use Scrum, the type of work item 
um, that would hold the data would be classed as a product backlog. And it's really all about terminology, right? So if you choose Scrum, you've got the product backlog. If you choose Agile, you've got the user story. But you've also got two other processes that you could use. You've got um, basic, which is um, which basically doesn't have a, a user story or product backlog item or even a requirement. It just has um, your tasks, your to-dos, right? Um, and then you also have what's known as CMMI, but really that's waterfall, you know, for lack of a better term. It's, it's really just a waterfall um, process. Now, one thing I always mention is don't get it mixed up with the actual methodology. It is really all about terminology. So if you're, if you're, I know that this is wrong, but people, when they say agile or scrum, they really should be following a particular set of steps. But in reality, that doesn't always happen. No, doesn't. Um, so if you need to change the process, you can. Um, and it's it's up to you and your, the company that you're with and the work items that you have, um, it can actually be added to. You can change it if you need to create additional fields. Just like if you were, for example, using CRM and you're using the account record, you make it work for you. So you make the user story work item work for you or the product backlog item work for you as well. Good. So it's customizable and you can change it to match your, your own process. Exactly. Yes. Do I have to use Azure boards, this idea of having, you know, columns of work items in a particular status, is that a best practice or is that enforced or have to use those within Azure DevOps? You don't have to, but I, I don't see why you wouldn't because it actually allows you to quickly understand where everything is. Um, so you can change the board. You can, and the, the beauty about it is you can enforce certain limitations, um, for example, making sure that you're not overstretching the team. So if you have a task or a requirement that is has been estimated for a certain amount of time and um, you've assigned it, um, you've, moved, you've moved it to say you're, that's actually in progress, you know the capability of your team and you know if you go over a certain amount of time, then they're going to be really stretched. So what the what the board can actually do is actually show you where that's happening and it will help guide you to what is what your team is capable of and what it's not capable of. Um, you can also have on the board definition of done. Okay. So for example, so one of the things that each team needs to have is obviously an understanding of their definition of done. So what does it mean if I move it to um, complete? And that board will allow all the team members to make sure that they're matching that definition of done but also quickly change who it's assigned to, change the remaining work hours, um, remaining work on it, add um, tasks and add test cases directly from that one board. So it gives you so much that to not use it would be questionable. Have you seen good examples of, of criteria that teams have added to their definition of done whenever they're implementing Dynamics 365? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so for example, when I've implemented it before, my example, a good definition of done is making sure that if you are in a, which stage was it? So just a good definition of done, making sure that you have the necessary documentation, making sure that you have test cases, making sure that um, your what whatever you have has actually been reviewed. These are good definition, definition of done to move to, for example, a completed stage 
or even making sure that you have sign off by a particular stakeholder or agreement with a stakeholder before you move it into an accepted stage, etc. So these are just some examples of what you could put in a definition of done. But if you do use it, then at least everyone understands what it means when that requirement is in that column or in the next column. Well, I'm thrilled because my current project team's definition of done has all of those criteria in it. Yay. So I'm, I'm following the Tricia's uh, best practices. What other uh, good practices have you seen for managing work items in Azure DevOps? For example, do, do you customize um, Azure DevOps work items a lot? Do you, do you think teams should do that? Or do they get themselves into tricky situations and are they better off leaving it as a standard? It depends. So I don't really like to customize things too much, but there are some standard fields that I will always add um, because I just think it's missing. For example, scope, fit gap. Every project that I've ever worked on needs to understand if, um, if something is in scope, and that, that is literally from the start because things go in and out of scope all the time. And I would love to know it was out of scope at the beginning of the project. Maybe in the middle of the project, it was then re-added into scope. I can then see from the um, the history when it was added to scope, who put it back into scope okay. and, and, you mm -hmm. know, and, and track it like that. I've basically used that many times to, to understand the journey of a work item. Also fit gap. If something is a fit, what I tend to advise my test team is if it's standard D365, don't, don't test it. Don't write a test case for it. Test that as a part of the process. But if it's a gap and we're going to have to build something on it, then yes, we need test cases for that. So I'm able to do my reporting based upon those criteria and I'm able to make sure that the estimates are correct as per as per, as per those. So those are like the, the, the two main things that I always add irrespective because they're just not there. But if there are others that you need to report on, and another thing that I tend to do when I'm starting a project is have a, have a talk with not only the stakeholder, um, but the project manager, what do they actually need to report on? Um, what do, what would they like to know? Cause that actually drives the, the fields that I would then add. Um, some most of the fields are always within DevOps, but there might be one or two that you might need to add. Sure. Um, but that's basically what drives it. Okay. And just before we go on to to other best practices that you've seen, um, you mentioned if I if I change the scope field and move something in scope or out of scope, that the history is tracked. So does Azure DevOps have a an auditing feature so I can see the history of changes to a work item over time? Yes, it does. And that saved me on so many projects. Um, one <laughs> one of the one of the other things that I, I tend to do is I don't allow once we've created the requirements, we put the requirements in, I always prefer for the stakeholders to actually manage the product backlog. I want them to take ownership and I want them to update it yeah. and put things in scope or update, to, uh, you know, add why they're taking something out of scope or add additional information. That's something that I always want them to, to do um, with our support, of course. Yeah. But if they're doing it, then when it comes to UAT, because everything's always really good at the start of a project, two years in when you're doing UAT and now the question becomes, that's what we wanted. Why is that not there? And it's out of scope. You can say, look, Mr. Customer, um, on this date, at this time, 
you said this and you put it out of scope. Do you remember? <laughs> and that has saved, no, seriously, that has saved us on so many projects because they, things move rapidly and things move quickly. Yeah. And we all get this, we all know, but you need to remember where you were and what you were doing and what happened previously. And that's what DevOps also allows you to do. What are the other kind of best practices you've seen teams use when they're adopting Azure DevOps for managing their, their boards? The main thing is agreeing on a process. And I know we, we talked about it before, but if you don't agree on a process and everyone thinks that it's different and what I've seen um, on a previous project, it hasn't happened since, but people will populate things with their own version of what they think that field means. And it dilutes the actual meaning of what the actual field means. Right. So just making sure that everyone is properly trained, ensure that everyone understands what the actual process is or agrees to the process. Um, and also, if it's not working, don't don't stick, stick your heels in. You need to actually have some flexibility. Um, just make sure that it works for everyone. You mentioned stakeholders accessing Azure DevOps directly. So I, I presume these are your customer stakeholders. Yes. Um, and these are often business people from whatever you know, business department they're part of. They're probably not experts in Azure DevOps. Is there you know, a barrier to entry for those people beginning to adopt Azure DevOps? And do you find that's a hard sell or is it quite easy for them to use and, and adopt and, and grasp? It's a bit of both. It depends on the, you, you have some people who have difficulty adopting it. It can be for a variety of reasons. It could be that it's, they see it as a barrier, it's like a new tool and what they, they're used to Excel, not Excel, sorry, they're used to Outlook. So they want to reply via Outlook for, for everything. Um, and that, that can be a problem because in Outlook, things get lost, especially if someone leaves the company. Yeah. Um, so we always make sure that even, even if we have to do it, it's tracked within DevOps. But we also have the, we do training. So as part of the, the setup of a project, we always make sure that um, not only our consultants are trained on the process, because obviously you have new consultants coming in all the time. Sure. So we just kind of do a refresher. Um, but we also make sure that the stakeholders, the actual customers are trained in what we expect them to do um, and all the different tools. So we, we, we do two. Um, we have the feedback client. And we have Azure DevOps and um, the feedback client more comes into play when we start actually going into testing, because that actually just allows them to re record the screen, record what they're doing, actually talk, talk us through it. Um, and then that's saved directly into Azure DevOps as another work item that we can then track against the requirement. And that really gives us the full traceability right back so we can assess if it's a change request or if it's actually a bug and it goes right back through to the process. I'm not familiar with that. So the, the feedback client, that's a, an application that a, an acceptance tester would use to, to run through a feature, document anything that's not working as they would expect. And then that feedback is captured in a, in, you know, a test case result in Azure DevOps. Yeah, so it's not really a test case result. So what you, what you do is if you finish the requirement and you want um, your feed your your stakeholder to give you feedback on it um you have the concept of um requesting feedback um and you can do that from devops itself right. um what you do is you specify how 
they should test it. Um, so whether or not they need to log in or um, browse to this particular area, give them the steps that they need to, to follow. Um, it sends them an email. But when they click on that email, it will prompt them to open up the feedback client tool or the Chrome extension, because it also has a Chrome extension. And they'll be able to um, record their screen. They'll be able to actually do voice narration. Um, they can actually just take pictures if they wanted to. Um, they can rate it um, out of five. Um, and they can, um, yeah, and they can actually add notes as well. Um, once they've done that, um, then um, what's created is a feedback response, because when you requested the feedback, you have a feedback request work item that was associated to that requirement. Um, and now you've got a feedback response that is associated to your feedback request. That's awesome. I never knew that was there. So I, I've learned a lot this morning already. Thanks very much for sharing that one. Um, great. So um, you mentioned the two different types of trainings that you do around Azure DevOps, one for your consultants who are going to be using it quite heavily on lots of projects. So that, that's obviously a great investment because over the long term that will pay off. And your clients, they may just be using it for this one Microsoft business applications project. So what's the training burden like? How, how long does that training normally take for a client stakeholder to get up to speed with Azure DevOps? We normally budget a day, um, but what we what I have found is that although they're just using it, um, they might just be using it for just this business application solution. They often bring everything else in right. as well. Okay. Um, once they've actually got up to speed, then they they try to see, okay, but we're we're doing this project. Can we use it here? And we can use it there, and it becomes their de facto um, tool to then manage their projects. But because we have um, we have the defined process and we we know what we're expecting them to do. It's actually a lighter task than actually knowing the full scope of what DevOps can do because we're not asking them to, to create a pipeline or um, set up test plans or, or anything like that. It's really what to do when, um, you know, you need to respond to a, um, a request or what to do to add a new requirement or update a requirement, that sort of stuff, which is quite lighter in the um, the training right. time than um, knowing the full scope of Azure DevOps. But when we do find that they want to utilize the entire breadth of Azure DevOps, then of course we will be happy to train them on that too. Fantastic. Um, so presumably they're learning a little bit about how your team uses Azure DevOps. So a little bit about the DXC process at the same time as learning about the tool as well. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And for your own uh, Microsoft consultants, what's the what's the training like on Azure DevOps? Is it a couple of days or is it a week? Or do people pick it up as they go along? It's continuous. <laughs> we have um, what's known <laughs> as lunch and learns. And um, what this allows them to do is um, if you've got time, you either watch the video from a previous lunch and learn or you um, engage on the actual lunch and learn. But um, what we try to do is constantly upskill, um, you know, our, our consultants that are on projects because we can't take them off the project. Um, so we do expect that they they will use the lunch and learn um, and use the the tools that we provide. I mean, the information that we provide to just keep themselves upskilled. So when we actually do the the training, it's more, okay, this is the process for this um, project. Because bear in mind, obviously, with BizApps, you've got CRM, but you've also got finance and operations. And um, you've got um, analysis, SSIS, SSIS. And all of these have different processes 
um, to to go through with Azure DevOps. So the, we need to basically show, okay, this is what the project contains. These, this is the process that you're going to need to follow to make sure that everyone has what they need. Um, and that's that's when that comes into play at the start of that project. But in terms of knowing how to set up a build, knowing how to do a release, knowing what's expected, um, that's covered in the lunch and learns. Bringing in a, a tool to manage the project, I sometimes, particularly for enterprise clients, I've seen them already have a tool. And it might be Team Foundation Services. It could be Atlassian's Jira, could be Daptive or, or something else. And they say, uh, welcome DXE. Here's how we'd like you to run the project. Um, and we'd like you to use our tools so that all the artifacts are left behind in our system after you're, you know, you finished the project. Do you ever have that kind of request? And, and how do you handle it? Do you, well, we're basically at the, not the mercy of the customer, but we're there to serve them. So if they have a tool that they prefer to use and that they've been using and they're comfortable using, then we can use that as well. But in some cases, what we do is we might have a session where we show them what we do. Um, in some cases, they're like, oh, wow, that's great. And they, they use Azure DevOps. Now, one thing as well is the Azure DevOps instance that we use primarily tends to be owned by the customer. So it's not like they're gonna um, not have the artifacts when we leave they are they will because they own it but it, it's more sometimes that they don't know the capabilities of devops so if we show them then they are more likely to to come along with our journey um, but in some instances it's 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 really because they have a lot of things going on on their own instance and therefore we we use that so in some instances previously we've used jira um, because that's what was really preferred and that customer really wanted it. So we said, okay, we will use it. That's definitely something I would recommend. If if you are going to bring your own process and and use the tool of your choice, at least do it in the customer's subscription so that it's all left behind. Yeah. Um, that it makes complete sense. So, um, yeah. Your primary role is in pre-sales. So I presume you're doing lots of demos of Microsoft business application technology, but do you also demonstrate Azure DevOps or discuss and present your implementation process as part of that pre-sales engagement? Or does that really just happen once the statement of work has been signed and, and off we go? More and more, actually, it's it's a part of the RFPs, the request for proposals that we have to write. Um, customers are asking, how do you implement? What tool do you use? And what's your process? So we have to basically write this in. Um, we don't have to demo it, which is fine. Like I can demo it, I do. But they don't ask. They, they just want to know that we have that capability and we do. So um, it's fine to document. And those RFPs, are you seeing clients with a a preference for an implementation approach, or are they just asking you what, what you currently use? They just ask what we use. So we, we explain how how we tackle it. And it also really depends on the, the size of the project as well, because depending on the size of the project, you're not going to really go full ham on, for example, automation. But um, so we weigh the project size and then we reply right. accordingly. How, how important it is, do you think, for Microsoft partners to have their own implementation methodology that's branded and unique to them. Is that a helpful differentiator or does that get in the way of the client understanding how it is that you do the implementation? So I know that a few a few years ago, Microsoft had their own methodology called Dynamics SureStep and partners could get trained in that. And so partners were using it 
all using SureStep. So there was very little differentiation between one partner's approach and the other. Um, these days, most partners don't, well, very few people are using SureStep. But do you think it's helpful to have your own branded implementation approach? I'm sure it's helpful. But what I what I found is that going into a customer, if everyone is speaking the same language, then you you don't have to explain a lot. Now, a lot of customers actually understand SureStep. So if you explain, if you're, if you're discussing things with them, then you don't have to then ex- re-explain a lot in great detail where your methodology fits in with that. So I think it, it's really up to them. If they found something that SureStep is not doing that they will do better and they need to add it, then they do. Because I know what we have at DXE is not, it's not strictly sure step, but it's based on sure step right. because we've actually found areas where we've had to fill in some gaps for, for example, FinOps and also for um, CE business apps. Um, so that is pretty much our differentiator, but it doesn't mean that all the partners have naturally found the same gaps and aren't doing the same thing, you know? Yep. So it, it's really up to, I think, the partners to find them and fill them. You mentioned uh, reporting earlier. Project manager might need to get reports out of Azure DevOps, are the reporting tools in there robust enough that they can just use some charts and dashboards in Azure DevOps? Are they exporting stuff to Excel? Are they pulling it through into Power BI? What have you found a good practice um, when it comes to tracking progress and tracking some team metrics? So what I what I recommend is using dashboards. So one, the first thing I do, one of the first things I do is I try to turn off a lot of notifications because um, by default, they're all turned on. So I turn off a lot of notifications. I use dashboards instead for my day-to-day um, understanding of what's going on. Um, but if you're a project manager or a program manager, what you might want is an overview as to where all your projects are, like, you know, all your projects. And this is where Power BI can come into play because with Power BI, um, you can actually change the analytics views. Right. Um, to show what you actually want to show for all the projects that you've got within Azure DevOps, even if it's with multiple customers. Because as as we mentioned, each customer has their own instance. And the benefit with Power BI is that it can actually have different data sources. And these data sources can actually be Azure DevOps. So you can have different types of reporting depending on who you are. And you can actually change the... um, change the look and feel based upon who you're targeting, stakeholders, project managers, or even consultants. So I, I find it useful. So turn off notifications. People within the team might want to consider using the Azure DevOps dashboards, and you can set those up. Yeah. If you're a project manager or, like you said, a program manager reporting across multiple projects, even if they're from different clients with their own subscriptions, you can aggregate that data in Power BI and track the, the success and the health of all of your, your projects in your portfolio. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. What kind of reporting have you found that your customers want to see? And are they just using the dashboards in Azure DevOps? So far, the customers, the stakeholders, because they're in, they're engaged in Azure DevOps and using the projects, they are using the dashboards from within um, Azure DevOps because it gives them the information that they want to see. They um, we We have like, for example, risks we have work items assigned to you we have like bugs um, that you need to be aware of so these are just some of the the things that 
basically surfaced on the dashboard that's shown to a customer because that's what they tend to be interested in. I was going to ask you, you've led me into it there, the different types of work item that people can track risks um, would be one, bugs would be another. What other types of work items do you normally set up in Azure DevOps and what do you recommend? I prefer to use um, the RAID logs within Azure DevOps. So by standard, it has risks and issues. There is actually also a work item for meet for um, meeting minutes. I don't use that. I, I think it's a bit too much, yeah. but I do find the um, risks and the issues really, um, really good. I also use tasks, um, which is also good. And um, the product backlog item or user story or requirement, depending on the process that you're using. I use test cases and test plans and also feedback. So those are the the standard work items I tend to use. Great. And bugs. Can't forget about bugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have to, maybe you're... Um... <laughs> <laughs> maybe on a perfect project and you don't uh, don't find any defects i wish thinking about the the way that you capture the requirements you mentioned user stories as a potential option you know i'm i'm a big fan of scrum user stories are not an official part of scrum almost every scrum team i've worked with has used user stories as a way of capturing the high level requirement have you uh, seen user stories used successfully have you seen other types of requirements capture used successfully as well yeah, it, it really depends on um, your process. So with with us, we use requirements, not user stories, but we use requirements. Um, but even though we use requirements, we still use the, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's in the, the framework as a, I want to so that. Yep. So even though it's a requirement, we still do that. And this, this my point is that even if you're using whichever process, how you define or document the requirement really is up to your team because you need to make sure that you have the information that you need. You need to, if it's a requirement, for example, you have the additional box that says description, describe it clearly um, before it can then be built. The person building it and the tester must all understand what that actually means. Otherwise, you can't actually enter that into a build. Even if for me, even if it's actually in, in, in Waterfall, before before we start building, you need that clarity. Um, so it, it I don't think it's really up to the tool to define how, how the success of the project, it's still down to the people, it's still down to the process. Yeah, good. Okay. To make sure that it works. So there's lots of flexibility there in terms of how you capture those requirements and what level of detail you go to. I really agree with what you, you mentioned before about getting that common understanding between the person who's captured the requirement, the person who's going to develop it, and the person who's going to test it. That, that's vital, I think, for, for any team. Yeah. Whether you document everything in excruciating detail in your requirements system or at a very high level and just have that conversation, getting that shared understanding is, these days, absolutely necessary. Is important, yeah. Yeah, it's good. How have you found it collaborating using Azure DevOps? Are your teams normally working remotely in your own offices away from the client or you're normally on client site and are you having to supplement Azure DevOps with other tools like Microsoft Teams or Skype or something else? It's um, It tends to be a mixture. It's at the moment a mixture of Teams, a mixture of SharePoint, a mixture of DevOps. So another thing with DevOps on the dashboard is you can link it to SharePoint. So when you when you click on it, it basically takes you to the SharePoint site that's owned by the team by um by the team. So if you need to have additional information there, you can. 
Um, I still prefer to have all the information in DevOps, but you can't win it all. <laughs> so we put it in. Um, we put it into to SharePoint if we need to, um, and Teams um, as a more chat-friendly way to to discuss things. If what I ask is if you need to have supplementary information, so for example, lists that need to be added into um, to DevOps as provided by the customer, that that gets immediately put into DevOps as opposed to being emailed, right. um, because it's, it's just it's just going to be missed. So, information that's vital um, to to DevOps decisions all go into DevOps. But if you're discussing, then you can actually use Teams. If you're for example, putting in your decision log or anything like that, then you can actually use SharePoint, like a RAID log in Excel. Sometimes we use actually use Excel for some for some RAID logs and some projects. So that goes into SharePoint, but it's linked to Azure DevOps. So it's still kind of all linked together. Great. Okay. Um, Trisha, it's been an amazing journey with you today. So thank you very much for sharing so much of your knowledge about using Azure DevOps for managing requirements. Uh, my favorite part was was learning that there's a feedback client where I can request and capture feedback from my stakeholders. I'm going to check that out. That's awesome. But we've talked a lot about, about reporting and about uh, training and adopting and about integrating with project. Lots and lots of really useful stuff. If people want to find out more, um, have you got any 365 Saturday presentations coming up where they can, they can track you down and, and listen in? Yeah, so there are two that I want to flag out. So I'm talking at D365 Paris um, on the 20, I think it's the 21st or the 22nd of November. And I'm going to be talking about um, using Azure DevOps for testing. So specifically around UI testing or unit testing. Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing there. And I'm actually creating my own D365 Saturday event, my first one ever. And it's Go geared towards, it. I know, um, it's this one is geared towards Caribbean um, partners and consultants and, um, you know, customers. So if you're if you're in the Caribbean and you're interested, please let me know. Um, that one is going to be May the 16th, 2020. I hope that one is really good. And where, where's that going to be held? <laughs> that's going to be in Fort Lauderdale. In the Fort Lauderdale Microsoft's office um, on May 16, 2020. Awesome. So we're going to actually be officially announcing it next week and opening up call for speakers. And yeah, I, I hope to get some influx of requests. Yeah, I have, yes, um, that makes sense. I have uh, some of my Scrum students at a Microsoft partner in Trinidad and they reached out to me this week. So I will let them know that that's happening next May. Awesome. Um, and you mentioned your blog. Where's um, What's the URL for your blog? The URL for my blog, I tried to make it super easy. So it's trishasinclair.com. Fantastic. T-R-I-C-I-A, <laughs> Sinclair.com. Great. Fantastic. I'll put all links to all of those uh, social handles and your blog and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've learned so much. Trisha, thank you very much for sharing with the Scrum Dynamics audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Trisha, for joining me on the show. I hope you all learned as much as I did about using Azure DevOps for managing work items in your business applications projects. And if you're not already using it, that you're going to adopt it in your next project. I know lots of teams already use Azure DevOps for continuous integration and continuous deployments, but there's a lot more to Azure DevOps than repos and builds, as we just heard. Check it out. And if you want to check out Trish's upcoming presentations at 365 Saturday in Paris and in Florida, I'll have all the details in the show notes at customary.com slash 41, where you'll also find links to Trisha's social media profiles too. Thanks for sticking the Scrum Dynamics podcast in your ears. 
my mission is to help every Microsoft customer and partner use the Scrum framework to successfully implement Dynamics 365, Power Apps, Power BI, and Power Automate, formerly known and better known and better named Flow. Using Scrum, I believe that you can slash your project budgets, shrink your delivery timelines, mitigate risks, and have way more fun delivering business apps that everyone will love. If you'd like to find out more, you can join the Customary Academy and enroll in my Agile Foundations for Microsoft Business Apps mini course. It's at customary.com slash foundations. It's a free one-hour workshop that will teach you the basics and benefits of adopting an Agile approach and show you how to learn Scrum. Check it out at customary.com slash foundations. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions about how to apply Scrum to your project, you can drop me a message on LinkedIn or leave me a voicemail on the website customary.com and clicking on the send voicemail button. I can't answer every question on the show, but I'll do my best. Until then, keep sprinting. Bye for now.